listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Amen. Amen. Just, just sit down. But keep clapping. I just love it. <laughs> Fills my heart. All right, good. I love the worship of this house, the sound you carry. It's absolutely amazing. It's an honor to be with you guys. It'll take me a second. I'll just be rotating here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll just step back here so I can look at all of you. Um, wow, it's so good to be with you guys. I want you to go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4 is the last book of the Old Testament. Some of you aren't looking, so you're waiting on the screens to come up. I get it. I get it. Um, hey, I want to encourage you guys. A um, couple of things. One is I got a, uh, I've been on a, a whirlwind Florida tour. I started in Fort Lauderdale on Thursday, was at Fort Pierce, Jacksonville, Fort Myers last night, and here I am with you today. And uh, I am, I, I, the, well, a couple of things. One is I want to highlight yourself to a couple of books that I brought with me. I've written about 10 books now. Uh, pretty much around prayer. I care about connecting the body of Christ to prayer. One of the books I brought was called Teach Us to Pray. It's the one thing the disciples asked Jesus to teach them in was prayer. And they heard every message and they didn't ask him, teach us to preach. Okay? Teach us to pray. The other one is Gift of Tears. Gift of Tears. I believe that God is awakening revival praying. That's prayer on the other side of words. You guys check that out right out there. One of the other things that I want to highlight you too is that there's postcards out here on this uh, table right out here, and it's called, we got it two-sided. One's called Nasherite Regionals. Who's ever heard of the Nasherites? Three of you have. Good. Well, I want to fill in the rest of the other 98%. The short of it is it's a personal story connected to what we believe is a biblical and uh, end-time reality of what God's going to do across the earth. We, had a, we, we have three beautiful daughters. I have my youngest one with me, Hadassah. Yeah, come on. I got a 24, a 20, and a 13, all girls. In 2012, we had a son. We named him Josiah Nash Russell. And we named him after an intercessor who traveled with Charles Finney and who would labor in intercession for the spirit of revival to break out in upstate New York. We got so impacted by this hidden intercessor, we named our son after him. And uh, he was born June 26, 2012. And on March 16, 2013, while I was in London, England ministering, my wife took the kids to Arkansas to see family, laid him down for his nap, and he didn't wake up from his nap. I get the nightmare of calls that my son passed away in his sleep. And we would enter into a dark decade, really difficult, a lot of pain, a lot of trauma, a lot of tragedy. But at the same time, I'm crying out for God to take ashes and to make beauty out of it. I'm asking that God could turn something glorious out of a, out a very horrible situation. And it was in that season in 2015, I was praying out of Psalm 2. Psalm 2, and I was asking for my inheritance in the midst of chaos, confusion, and craziness. And while crying out for my inheritance, 
a friend of mine sent a dream that the church was under siege. Cultural wars were increasing, and we begin to realize we don't know how to pray in these days. We don't know how to pray in these days. And in the dream, I come into the dream smiling, saying, these are the days we've been waiting on. My friend began to prophesy over me in the dream. He said, Corey, for every one voice of awakening, I'm going to raise up seven voices of intercession. For every one voice of awakening, I'm going to raise up seven voices of intercession. He says, I've given Lou Engle the Nazarites, but I'm giving you the Nasherites. And the Nasherites will be a hidden army of intercessors. They may not be known in the eyes of men, but they're going to be famous in heaven. I'm going to hear their prayers, hear their cries, and I'm going to send revival in their families, revival in their churches, and revival in their cities. When I got that dream, I said, God, give me 100 million Nasherites. I had, I'm connecting the dots. I had just had a lunch. Me and my wife had just had a lunch with Reinhard Bonnke. Who's ever heard of Reinhard Bonnke? All right, filling all of Africa shall be saved. And when you get around a guy like that who's used to a green room that has about two million in it, <laughs> green room, he'd preach in Nigeria in front of six and seven million. You get around people like that, your vision gets big. So I get this dream and I said, Lord, give me a hundred million Nasherites, intercessors for revival and the return of the Lord, that you would awaken them across the earth. I preached it in faith from 2015 to 2021. The Lord visited my wife in 21, and I knew it was time then to begin to gather the Nasherites. And we began to do our first annual one in Dallas in 21. We did our second one in Dallas in 22. And then three weeks ago, we did our third one in uh, Denver, Colorado, where we're now living. And the Lord told me for 2024 to begin to take the Nasherite message to regions to begin to sow the seed into regions of the U.S. and begin to gather the intercessors. And I, I care deeply about this because I'm grateful for mama intercessors, women, older women who have carried the torch, but the ministry of intercession is not a women's ministry in a back room. Thank you women for carrying the torch, but I believe God's blowing up that paradigm. There's an intercessor in heaven and it's not a woman. I care about praying men, yes. praying men. And I care about a praying generation. Millennials and Gen Z and Gen Alpha, they love the worship. And I'm grateful you've never had such great worship ever than what we have right now. But I, there's another throne room ministry that's going on and it's intercession, which means agreeing with God's heart and will to see his purposes birthed in the earth. Well, guess where we're doing our very first regional, February 23rd through the 25th? We're doing it in, in Southwest Florida, Fort Myers, Florida. We're coming there and we're going to put the first thing, uh, uh, the first, uh, you know, put the first pole in here in Fort Myers and ask that God would begin to awaken watchmen across this region. Isaiah 62, I've set Watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They'll never hold their peace until Jerusalem's a praise in the earth. He wants to break the silence off the sleepy south. He wants to break the silence off the slumbering south. 
we get our voice back in the throne room. And I want to partner with this house because what God's doing here to abide, I believe, is a prophetic apostolic house for the region. And I just want to, one, invite you to come join us. We've got these postcards right out there. On the, on the flip side, we have something that many of you have been tracking with for the last few years, Corey Russell Online. I want to awaken the globe to prayer. We've got like 15 nations, and we're awakening an online community of prayer. We've got over 200 hours of content built to strengthen your life in prayer. If you want to join us, there's a QR code. You can get that and join us. I don't see nobody taking a picture, so apparently you got good memories. All right. And the third thing that I'm doing this year is I'm going after preachers. I want to see preachers awaken in this generation. And beginning in March, can we cue that video? Beginning in March, uh, I, I am going on, I'm bringing 30. There, go ahead and turn it up. I've had a growing burden that's just been growing in my heart over the last decade or so. As I'm surveying the body of Christ, looking at the church, across the globe as well as looking at our culture and our own nation and there's been a growing burden that's laid hold of me and it's the burden for preachers it's the burden for messengers and voices that come out of a lifestyle of prayer and fasting and depth of the word and that could come forth with prophetic clarity to break through the chaos confusion and lawlessness of our day and bring a spirit of conviction back to the church I've been looking specifically at 2 Timothy 4 where Paul tells Timothy, he charges him before God and our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, preach the word, preach the word. He says, there's a time coming and I think it's the time that we're living in right now. There's a time coming to where people because of itching ears are gonna accumulate their own teachers, their own preachers who will tell them the things that they wanna hear. And Paul is warning Timothy, and I can feel that same apostolic burden today to warn the next generation of preachers, don't go after, after fancy, don't go after relevant and cool, but go after truth and an alignment with the Word of God and a prophetic spirit like no other time. Over the last 25 years, I have been preaching weekly on a regular basis, thousands of hours of messages and preparation and giving messages in every context that, that's been out there. And I'm feeling the Holy Spirit saying to me, Corey, I want you to take the journey that I've taken you on and learning how to rightly divide the word of truth, how to steward a burden, and how to bring it forth in clarity, conviction, and power to touching this generation. And I want you to give it to another generation of preachers. I'm looking for 25 young men, young women, old men, old women, who feel a call to preaching, who feel this call to preaching but feel stuck in how to hone the craft, how to develop the craft, and then how to bring it into delivery. And I wanna invite you into a nine-month mentorship. I wanna invite you on a journey with me and friends of mine who have been doing this for decades. And I wanna invite you into this mentorship to glean, to run together with us, and to receive an impartation around preaching. The earth is needing preaching in this hour like no other time. And I believe that God wants to use this mentorship to be one of the catalysts to answering the cry in our day. I wanna invite you to join me. We're gonna start in March. 
and it's going to go all the way to November 2024, culminating with our Nashorite Conference. I want to invite you, and I really believe this is going to be a life-changing moment for you. Bless you. Amen, amen. So you guys can check this out out here on the table right after this, and that's what we need. I hear a lot of times, you know what, we don't need another message. No, we don't need another just going through the motion message, but we need preaching. How shall they hear unless there's a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? God's not abandoning in the light of a generation that's oversaturated with Bible. What we need are burning ones that can preach the Bible again. We need messengers whose words they speak have consumed them. See, I've got a vision for preaching, and you don't have to come up with something cool. It's when you say Bible verses, God moves. John the Baptist, he's the greatest prophet ever, and all he did was preach Bible verses. And a whole nation went out to him. And it's with that in mind, so anyway, that you can get that out there, that'll bless you. Malachi 4. Malachi 4, I was asking the Lord, I felt like he told me to bring this message, and then I was talking to G.O. in the back, and I usually am looking for some little token from the Lord to peak and to confirm, and he let me know that you spent a month, 40 days around fire on the altar, and the fire of First Kings 17 and 18. And I want to speak into the spirit of Elijah this morning. I want to speak on God's answer to a backslidden church. God's answer to an apostate leadership and priesthood. I want to speak what happens when our marriages are in shambles. What happens when our finances are in shambles? What happens when a curse is taking over the earth? God's answer is the release of the spirit and the power of Elijah. The spirit and the power of Elijah. I don't know if we're going to do it. I'm going to be reading from New King James, but Malachi 4, 5, and 6, the last words of the Old Testament. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah. The prophet before, everybody say before. before. So God's going to do something before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Amen. What is Elijah going to do when he comes? He's going to turn hearts. The greatest anointing ever is a turned heart. And he's going to start with fathers. He's going to start with mothers. He's going to start with boomers and Gen Xers. And he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers and the mothers to the children, yes. Yes. To, to millennials and Gen Zs and Gen Alphas. He's going to turn their hearts, and he's going to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I strike the earth with a curse. God's answer, when there's a breakdown in homes, when there's a breakdown in generations, when there's a breakdown in culture, is the release of Elijah. Elijah doesn't even have a family. He's not even married. He shows up in Israel's darkest hour when the king of Israel, Ahab, had fallen into such delusion and, and, and depravity that he goes and he marries the daughter of the king of Sidon, whose name is Jezebel. 
And King Ahab marries Jezebel and he gets so intoxicated by Jezebel, he's going to do what she wants and he's going to build a temple to Baal, build an altar to Baal, and then create an image to Baal and require all of Israel to come worship Baal from this temple that he's built. And in addition to this temple are going to be 450 prophets of Baal and another god, Ashtoreth, and they're going to fund all of these prophets. They're going to feed them from their table and they're going to build up their own religion in Israel. And they're going to begin to attest that Baal is God and Baal is God. But there was this young man out in Gilead. There was a young man out in Gilead whose name was Elijah. And this man was so zealous for the name of God. He was so zealous for the Lord of hosts. And he went in the, in the, in the wilderness of Gilead and he began to cry out. And he began to cry out and he says, Baal is not God over Israel. Yahweh is God. Baal does not provide the rain. Yahweh provides the rain. Baal is not our provider. Yahweh is our provider. God, would you begin to make a clear delineation that Yahweh is God over Israel? He's crying out to God. He wants to see God's name restored. Huh? We live in similar days. Amen? We call the gods today money, sex, pleasure, humanism, spirit of this age. You can put a thousand names on it, but at the end of the day, those are the false providers. Those are the false securities to this culture. And I believe that God's marking a young Elijah generation that is zealous for the Lord of hosts and zealous for his name to be restored in our nation. I love James 5 because James is going to tell us in our own relationships, he says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. And he says, for the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, what does it do? It avails much. I love that. So it's got one-on-one -on -one relationships that if I confess my sins to you and you pray for me, I'll be healed. That would have been a great verse by itself, but James just said, you don't believe me. And he's going to pull out Elijah out of the Old Testament as the picture of the possibilities of our prayer lives when we pray for one another. And he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like us. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And guess what? God answered his prayer before we ever met Elijah Elijah was praying for the rain to be shut over the nation. Wow. He prayed for the, for the rain to be shut over the nation, and God shut the heavens. The first answer to Elijah's prayer is the stopping of cycles of sin. Wow. He's shutting something.
when Elijah showed up to King Ahab in 1 Kings 17, and he says, Ahab, I need you to know it's not going to rain again until I say so. He comes out of nowhere, this hairy Tishbite from Gilead. And he shows up, looks Ahab right in the face. And when you've got a fear of God, you're not intimidated by men. When you're not, you're not buckling before a king when you've got a greater fear in God. God's raising up intercessors who got a bigger fear than what people think about them. And he goes before him and he says, it's not going to rain until I say so. And then immediately he's taken away. The first aspect of Elijah's life is he shut the heavens over a nation. Some of you guys have been living in perpetual sin cycles. And the Lord is waiting on you to confess your sins one to another. And then a righteous man, not a perfect man, but a man pursuing all of God. When you pray for another brother who's opened their heart in vulnerability, God says it'll stop when you pray for them. So he said, Elijah goes into three and a half years of a famine. He's going to be fed by birds and fed by a brook. And then the Lord's going to send him to the land of Jezebel to be fed by a widow and taken care of by a widow. The Lord takes this much oil and makes it last three and a half years to feed the widow, her son, and Elijah. After a little while, the widow's son gets sick and he dies. And the widow comes to Elijah saying, have you brought my sin upon me? And Elijah says, give him to me. Picks the son up. Takes him up to the upper room, stretched him out on the bed, and then stretched himself out on him and said, Lord, let the soul of this young man come back into him and resurrection life hit that young man. Yeah, if y'all ain't going to say nothing, God will give us kids. See, what am I talking about here? And we're going to get to Malachi 4 here in a little bit. But God, the first thing that God's doing is in our families. Some of you got kids five feet down the hallway who are dead. They're five feet down the hallway, deaf, mute, dead, disconnected from God, gripped by the spirit of this age, gripped by perversion through pornography, gripped by drugs and alcohol, gripped by the spirit of this age, and we just go on through our happy, clappy lives, hallelujah, praise the Lord, and we got dead sons. We got dead daughters. Dead daughters that are swept by the seduction of a Babylonian system and spirit. It's time for moms and dads to stretch yourself out on your children. It's time. Stretching is uncomfortable. It's going to require for you to do more than turn on ESPN. But it's going to require for you to begin to intentionally pursue your son or your daughter in prayer, in conversation, and seeking their heart. We need turned hearts. Turned hearts that gets delivered from you and what you need and begin to contend and stretch yourself out. I know some of you, it's hard to turn because the things they're walking through is your fault. 
and you deal with constant shame over what you did or didn't do or what you allowed. And there's a deep shame where the enemy has locked up your heart and out of fear and shame, you don't know what to do. I want you to know we're going to minister to you in a little bit, but God's going to break this off today off of you. Because the prayers of a righteous man, and I want to tell you what righteous people look like. They're people that come under the blood and say, God, I refuse to live in the shame of yesterday. I'm going to come under your blood and reach for everything you have for me and my family. Some of you are single moms. And you got to be dad and mom. It's time to stretch yourself. I want you to know that I believe revival is coming and it's beginning in our homes. I've done a lot of prayer albums. I've known Mike over here for 25 years. And we connected because my very first prayer album, I do these prayer albums, I go, awaken the groan, God, awaken the groan. And the first one I did was called Days of Noah. And I got one invite, one conference in Montana where they said, hey, come do a Days of Noah conference. I said, okay. <laughs> so I'm flying over there and I start talking to the Lord. I go, Lord, Noah preached for 120 years and nobody but his family got saved. <laughs> How about that? And the Lord whispered it back to me, but his family got saved. And the arcs of safety I'm going to release in the last days are going to be in homes. Noah, Lot, and his family. There's something about righteous men and families. There's something about righteous men and families, and I believe God wants to break off. Our men have been emasculated by the spirit of perversion. That spirit of Jezebel have emasculated our men. We've lost our voice and our drive. And I believe that God wants to break off this passivity off our men and begin to turn our hearts to our sons and our daughters. Turn our hearts to our sons and our daughters and fight for them. I love the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. Jesus is up there and Elijah and Moses show up and they hang out. And then they're walking down and the disciples are talking to him about Elijah. And then they get at the bottom of a mountain and there's a father who has a mute and deaf son who came to the Pharisees. They couldn't cure him. Then they took him to the disciples. They couldn't cure him. And finally, the father brings him to Jesus. And the guy says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus cast the deaf and mute spirit out of that son. You know what I loved at the bottom of that mountain? A father that wrecked everything. A father that was disrupting the welcoming party for Jesus, saying, my son needs deliverance. We need fathers like that again. We need fathers that just wreck the religious system by saying, I need a breakthrough in my home. Elijah stretched. Everybody say stretched. 
It's going to be uncomfortable. You got to get off the golf course. You got to get off the golf course. You got to get off the television. You got to get off of checking out. Turn your heart. The greatest anointing is a turned heart. The spirit of revival is an awakened heart. Spirit of revival is awakened hearts. For those three and a half years, Elijah was provided for and took care of that widow with that much oil. And then in 1 Kings 18, the Lord told Elijah, it's time now to go present yourself to Ahab. I'm going to send rain. But before he sends rain, he's got to send fire. Before he sends rain, he's got to cleanse the false prophetic spirit that's resting on the nation. There's got to be a confrontation. Everybody say confrontation. confrontation. That was pathetic. Say confrontation. Because Elijah, if God's going to turn hearts, it's a confrontational spirit. It confronts you. Elijah is not a good hugging dad with lots of kids. I'm going to send you Elijah. You'd think you would send Isaiah who had kids. You'd think that he might send other priests and prophets who had families. Elijah doesn't have any family because the point of Elijah is confrontation. And it's a spirit of prayer. What I love about Elijah, we say he's a prophet, but the primary anointing is prayer. I am tired of hearing people be called prophets because they have a word of knowledge gift. Those are not biblical prophets. Just because I got a word of knowledge, I'm grateful for words of knowledge, but that is not necessarily a prophet. Biblical prophets, they carry an anointing and prayer, and they carry the word of the Lord. That there's weight on their words, and when they speak Bible verses, God moves. God's weight is, is, moves on God's word. That's what a biblical prophet is. We got a bunch of glorified psychics running around. If I told you I was going to have a prophet gathering in February, you'd already signed up. We'd get every one of them. He's going to give me a word. Going to give me a word. I got a word. <laughs> You're like, I don't want to hear it. I could fill up every, all, all over Florida if I said, the prophets, the prophets gathering. Everybody come because you'd get a word. Because we want to live vicariously through somebody else instead of talking to the word. Instead of communing with the word. We need praying prophets. And they are no prophets unless they pray. The primary anointing on Elijah is that what happens when he prays. And he is going to make, this blows me away, Geo. All right, it's time to gather all the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, all the ones eating at Jezebel's table, and we're going to have a prophet showdown. I would think, this is what we do in our day, Elijah will prophesy, and then they prophesy. He goes, no, we're not going to have a prof off. We're going to have a prayer meeting. 
Because you can't fake the funk. You can't fake your reality in God and how heaven answers your prayers. This is what we're going to do. We're going to create two sacrifices. You're going to call on your gods. I'm going to call on my God. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. It's a prayer meeting that exposes true prophets from false prophets. We need the prophetic anointing in our homes again. Every one of your invitation in this room is prayer. You got to get over yourself and begin to familiarize yourself and acquaint yourself with God. Go on the awkward journey of getting to know God. It's really awkward. There's a lot of mundaneness and boredom, but on the other side of your boredom is a burning man that is ready to set your heart on fire. There is a familiarity through history. And so many of us love the fire tunnels, but we hate the prayer meetings. Call on your gods. I'm going to call on my God. God who answers. Not just God who hears. Unanswered prayer is the training ground for unbelief. Ask and you will receive. And my Father will answer. And he will get glory through answered prayer. We get trained in never seeing answers to our prayers. We're not throwing coins in a wishing well. We're not hoping God does something. We know his will, we know his word, and we know his heart. And God's will is for salvation in our homes. It's for deliverance in our cities. It's for the power of God to break out in our regions. Call on your gods. So those first prophets, 850 of them, they got their sacrifice there, and then they start all, and now they're exposed. Now they're exposed, and they start doing all kinds of calisthenics and spiritual secrets to try to figure out how to get Baal's favor to come down on this sacrifice. Elijah's over there making fun of them. Cry louder. Cry louder. Maybe he's asleep. The literal translation is maybe he's taking a dump. That's the literal translation. Keep screaming. Keep screaming. And it says no one listened, no one heard, nothing happened. And then they get to the evening sacrifice. And Elijah is going to root his prayer in the fathers, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let them know that there is a God in Israel, and here it is, turn their heart back to you today. When he talks about turning hearts, it's the answer of prayer to turn the heart back to Yahweh. 
Who in here knows what happened? Fire fell out of the sky, consumed the burnt sacrifice, and it consumed all the water. And all those prophets begin to say, Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. And Elijah said, kill him. He executed all 850 of them. Because it was ridding the land of the false prophetic spirit. And those who were hired by Jezebel, who would only give nice prophecies, And now it's time for rain. Elijah goes to the top of Mount Carmel and he tells his servant, go out there. And he says this phrase, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. There is. He was hearing it on the inside of him. Friends, we need the prophetic spirit that we would begin to hear again. And that we would begin to see again what God's doing. As soon as you stop seeing and hearing, you start dying. As soon as you stop seeing and hearing, you start dying. Because the servant came back seven times and says, there's nothing. What did he tell him? Go again. Go again. Go again. Go again. The seventh time, the servant came back and said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And contained in that little cloud, is the breaking of a three and a half year drought. The rain to break the drought is in the cloud. And as soon as he saw the cloud, Elijah took off. I believe with all my heart, God wants to birth a cloud again in our nation and it's always gonna come through the womb of prophetic intercessors. Are you pregnant? Men, are you pregnant? Men, are you pregnant? Men, are you pregnant? There's something about that birthing position that Elijah was in. Something about, because this is what it says in James 5. He prayed and the heavens were shut. And it says this, he prayed again. And the heavens were open. Some of you prayed in your 20s. You ain't been praying in your 40s. Some of you reached for God in your early years, but you haven't reached for God like that in a second. It's time to pray again. It's time to pray again. It's time to pray again. Geo, it's time to pray again. Marcus, it's time to pray again. Come on, abide church, it's time to pray. We'll pray. We'll get, a, we'll get a, a measure of breakthrough. And the blessing of breakthrough takes us out of the place of prayer. It's not something unto something else. It's the room we live in. It's the place we live in. I'm saying this to myself, 46 years old. Been in this thing 25 years. And I'm saying, Corey, it's time to pray again. It's time to pray again. Yeah. 
This is the other thing. Ahab's going to run home after all this, tell Jezebel all that Elijah did. Jezebel's going to send a letter to Elijah saying, hey, I'm going to kill you. And a spirit of fear hit Elijah. And the last time he prayed, he prayed five times. The last time he prayed, he wanted to die. He prayed that he would die. And the Lord answered his prayer by saying, hey, buddy, you're not alone. There's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. There's 7,000 here. Friends, I need you to know it's not a bunch of lone rangers on mountains alone. God's doing something to break that Jezebel spirit off of us, to break off that Jezebel witchcraft that gets on your mind of thinking, my God, I'm alone in this thing. I can't make it. I get confused. I, I back off of what was in my heart. And God's answer to the witchcraft is community. God's answer to the witchcraft is community. The fact that other people are reaching for the same thing. I'm going to send you Elijah. I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. And he's going to do something in homes. He's going to turn the hearts of fathers to children. And they're going to keep turning until the hearts of children are turned back to them. He's doing it in homes. He's doing it in generations. I see so many Gen Xers and boomers running around waiting on their calling to unfold. Your calling is found in turning your heart to the next generation. This is what revival looks like. I believe he wants to release it. I believe he's placed to bide for such a time as this, is to have this anointing resting upon this house. Guys, we're finding, and I just want you to know as somebody who's been in this for 25 years, it's not just enough to do just prayer meetings with me and God. It's getting exposed. We're not going to survive the coming days with a spirituality devoid of connection with others. God's answer is for us to come off our islands and go on the awkward journey of not just familiarity with God, but familiarity with one another. prayer rooms and dinner tables. It's a level of vulnerability that he is going to connect Elijah to vulnerability in sin. Who am I talking to that's dealing with a lot of shame with turning your heart? When you talk about turning your heart, you get gripped immediately with where you've screwed up. If that's you, I want you to stand. 